The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. The preseason is dead. Long live the season. The preseason is dead. Long live the season. The preseason is dead. Long live the season. There aren't more games today. I don't care. <laughs> Boston is done with their preseason. That ah, means, okay. That means the world. I see. Okay. Good to Despite know. Despite Paul and Lysel getting dinged, I'm okay with how the Bruins came through uh, camp as far as injuries. Um, we know where we're going to start, so I won't ask that question. But we do have a decent variety of things to look at today. Two sets of predictions for um, where this, or actually three sets of predictions to look at for the um, for the season standings and who's going to win the cup, which I find interesting. Um, we have a couple of contract new contracts. Um, we have an opening night projection, an update from the mayor's office, and. Uh, our good buddy, uh, Kevin Paul DuPont, spitballing on a potential Patrick Kane to Boston deal. Um, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin's been writing for a long time. Sometimes I, I think that he, he likes to add in a little fiction. I'm not sure that this and we'll get into it later, but I'm not sure that that's something I want to buy into just yet. And he admits that he's just spitballing, so okay. I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, but we'll tuss, we'll we'll, t- we'll tussle with that one in a minute. Uh, just before we started, you yes. came across a story on Boston.com um, projecting the Bruins' opening night lineup. Um, this is from Tim Rosenthal, whose stuff I've occasionally read in the past. Um, there's some things that I don't have a problem with, some things that I find utterly baffling, and some complications that I don't know if Tim Rosenthal calculated into his uh, calculated into his equation here. Um, so we're actually going to cover two stories at once with this one. I mentioned an update from the mayor's office. The mayor in particular would obviously be the mayor of Chucktown himself, uh, Matt Grizzlick. Um, he's been upgraded uh, condition-wise to wearing a no-contact jersey, which means realistically there's a chance he actually opens the season for the Boston Bruins. On Wednesday night. It's not a high chance. I was going to say, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet, but okay. But he's, he took contact in the last practice. Um, no reports of any setbacks. Yes, he was projected for five to six months back in June when he had the original injury, but or, or when he had the surgery. But he's a pretty young, pretty fit guy. He's done shoulder surgery recovery before. Um, I, would I necessarily want him to start the season? I want him a hundred percent before he's stepping back on the ice or as close to it. That's my overall desire. 
But if it's a choice between one of the guys who's already been sent down to Providence and him for for a 10 game or for three or four games, I'd rather have him get in the reps and not see the pairings that Rosenthal put into this article. Because I think if Grizzlick is back or projected to be back before the end of October, mm-hmm. I think it severely cuts the chances that Anton Strahlman is signed, not just from a cap perspective, but from a body's perspective. You're not going to carry eight or nine defensemen in Boston. And most of the guys that you have, even all of the guys that you would consider, flat out not going to make it through waivers. Um, Cap-wise, assuming Strawman's deal isn't too much, it doesn't make a huge difference whether he's signed or not. Um, but with the previous projections being Grizzlick being out till, th- till U.S. Thanksgiving and Happy Thanksgiving to our Canadian uh, cousins. Um, that that's a million and a half, two million dollar swing in total cap space. So you do have to do some thinking. Um, no some, of it is, some of it will likely be offset by Taylor Hall's injury, which is how the Bergeron line ends up where it is. Okay. But let's, since we started talking about the defensive pairings, let's go with those. Uh, Which one strikes you as the most problematic? Oh, goodness. Um, All of them. (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to picture... I'm trying to picture Jakob Zaboro and, and Anton Strauman only because Zaboro just, he started off, he ebbs and flows. Strauman hasn't played a whole lot, so uh, I'm worried about um, compatibility, uh, not compatibility, but cohesiveness and, and uh, how they're going to work together. I'd like to see, and I'm not quite sure how to put it. I'd like to see Strawman. He's going to be your third pairing defenseman, but I don't know. That one's got me. That one's got me a little perplexed. Forbort and Carlo. I'm. Forbort and Carlo is. I'm okay. Forbort and Carlo. I'm okay with. Although they're both. They're both defensive defensemen. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a really strong shutdown pairing, assuming those exist in the current NHL. Um. But as far as actual offense, I think the third pairing bugs me more than the first pairing. No, although, no. although the first, although the first pairing, ew, yeah, first no. pairing comp, the pairing listed first has a composition that bars it from being a first pairing. Much as I like Mike Riley, he has been shooting more in this, so somebody definitely said something to him. As much as I like Mike Riley. He should in no way be on the first pairing, particularly not ahead of several other defensemen in the Bruins system who play the right side. Would you prefer 
Yes. <laughs> that would be the correct answer. I would I, prefer Carlo there. Yeah. I would prefer Clifton there. In some cases, I would even prefer, in a lot of cases, I would actually even prefer Lauco there uh, because I think that he's he's more likely to provide offense when offense is indicated, and he's as good a skater. Lauco. Sorry, not Lauco. Zaboro. Oh, okay. I was going to say... Um, I think he's. I think in actual game situations, Zaboral is more likely to shoot than Riley. Not 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 exhibition season, real real NHL season games. I think that over the course of a ten game period, allowing for the same situations, that Zaboral is more likely to shoot. Um, okay. Yeah, I I don't like these three pairings. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, the pairings are listed as Lindholm Riley as first, Forbert Carlo as second, and then Zaboral Strawman as third. Mm-hmm. I, I I can't do that first pairing. Um, I still I- haven't decided what I think of Campus Lindholm. I know that he's a good defenseman. I don't know whether he's a number two, a weak number one, a strong number one. I, I don't think he's an elite number one. Like, I can't look at him and say, yes, he's definitely one of the top ten defensemen in the league. Um, he's certainly far better than the average number three in the league. Um, so I'm comfortable putting him somewhere on that first pairing no matter what. But... No, I can't do that pairing. I mean, I find I find Tim's comments on uh, like the Forbort Carlo line, and he talks about how uh, last season Carlo and Forbort were under scrutiny from from the Boston fan base, and this and that. It says other instances, Forbort and Clifton held their own, including in Boston's first round matchup against Carolina. Yet the Bruins likely don't want to endure another season with an inconsistent pair even if they showcased stability under immense pressure. That just, that whole statement just contradicts itself. Yes, because guess what happens over the course of a season when you've never played together? The Bruins likely don't want to endure another season with an inconsistent pair, even if they showcase stability. Um, literally five words prior, you said that you called them inconsistent, and now you're saying they showcase stability under immense pressure. Pick one? Well, it's also the fact that the postseason comes after the regular season. It does. And you also already had an opportunity to play a good number of games together. And if you can do it in the postseason, you can probably do it again in the next regular season. And I think Forbort and and not that I want to break up Forbort and Carlo, but I think Forbort and Clifton worked. And then in his next statement, he says Forbort's penalty kill prowess makes him a long term candidate over Clifton. And his energetic but uneven traits. Yes, Clifton can lead the attack. But Clifton, Clifton has also is. Clifton has also played a huge, a huge number less games than Forbert, who is significantly older. Clifton also was shorthanded time on ice leader in the game prior to last night. Yeah, uh, he was also leader of time on ice 
<laughs> and and I mean, Montgomery is clearly giving him an opportunity, and Clifton watching him this preseason. No, he didn't score three goals. He didn't have five assists. He, but Clifton has still I, only played 154 regular season at NHL games. If you add in his 43 playoff games, he still doesn't hit 200 games. He's going to be inconsistent for a little while, but his trajectory has been firmly upward since game 50 for him. I, I, I just no. I understand the defense pairs just I don't get them. I mean, and I like Strongman. I've always liked Strongman. Yes, it's an older version of him, but I still like him. And a veteran presence, unless he struggles from the Chara downfall when he, you know, with the he really slowed down. And, and I mean, if he's struggling to that end, then no, don't bring him along. But I haven't seen him since the first preseason game. Has he played? He didn't play last night. He didn't play the week, the night before, or, or the game before. I, I haven't seen him. I I don't you're, know what he you're looks saying. Like. Forbert, uh, Strongman, Strongman. He, um, like. he played last night. He did. I didn't see him. He didn't play a huge, huge number of minutes. Oh, okay. Um, I, I want to say that, uh, I mean, looking back at the box score, um, no, you're right. He didn't play in last night's game. It was Riley, Carlo, Lindholm, Forbert, Zaboral, and Clifton. And even last night, uh, Clifton was third in time on ice behind uh, Lindholm and Carlo. With uh, uh, that would be that that's to be expected considering Lindholm and Carlo are probably a top two defensemen right now. Uh, yeah. Um, but so, he also played two oh five shorthanded time on ice. Um, second only to Forbert. Um, I, yes. I I I can't do these pairings. They just make my head hurt. Yes. That being said, uh, they the have lines. eight. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna. I was just gonna wrap it up. They have eight. They have eight defensemen listed in, and obviously one of them is going to be put on LTIR because you got McAvoy, Lindholm, Carlo, Grizzlick, Forbort, Riley, Zaboral, and Clifton, who you can't move if you want to send any of them down. Obviously, they have to clear waivers. Yeah, I genuinely yeah. think there's going to be an early season trade. Somebody has, yeah, there there has to, and then Strongman's still listed as PTO and cap friendly, so that's nine. Like you were saying at the beginning, of the, and I picked up on it, but I wanted to tie it in there. You got nine guys for six spots, seven if you count the one that's a healthy scratch. Um, too many. I think th- I think nine is too many. Um, when you cover and when you account for the fact that both Zaboral and Clifton play both sides, I think you come back to Riley being the odd guy out. Yeah. I think Zaboral and Clifton give you the most flexibility both in 
in in individual games and over the course of you know any given time span, whether it's three games or twelve games or thirty games, um, and I don't really I don't really see where Riley is a significant improvement over Clifton or Zaboral uh, in any area. Yeah, he doesn't do anything like. I'm thinking I'm I, I watch you watch clip you watch clip and I watch clip between his the possibilities of his offensive prowess the fact that at his size the physicality that he brings to the ice I don't see Zaboral hitting people I don't see Zaboral hitting I don't see I don't see Riley hitting people I mean I I know he does but. I mean, when Clifton rails somebody, and he did a I couple of games ago. Riley is better at generating offense. His assist numbers are significantly better than Clifton. Okay, um, and I can accept seen, that. We haven't seen a huge. We haven't seen a big enough sample of Borbert, uh, not Borbert, um, Zaboral to for me to make a similar statement or comfortably make a similar statement, but. Yeah, no, not a big fan. Not a big fan of this uh, of these defensive pairings. Um, okay, the forward lines. You were saying. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. The forward lines. One of them makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. One of them is a pretty bold statement. One of them's a head scratcher. Um, one of them makes me. One of them, I think, only leads lends credence to my belief that there's going to be a trade at some point in the early season. <laughs> and by that, I mean any time between today, October 9th, and U.S. Thanksgiving. Do you really use opening night as an opportunity to showcase a player you want to trade? Yes, you do. <laughs> Um, but looking at those four lines, you know, we'll start at the, we'll start at the back. I think mm-hmm. the, I think seeing AJ Greer, Jack Nika, and Chris Wagner, based on everything Montgomery said about Wagner yeah, and about Greer, I am in no way shocked that anyone project, would project those two on the team because I liked what I saw from Wagner this year. I liked what I saw from Greer in the preseason this year. I thought that Wagner got put into Cassidy's doghouse last year at the beginning. I, of the yeah, I, I still don't understand what happened with Wagner and his year-long stint in Providence. I, I, I don't know what he did or said about Cassidy or his wife or what. But I, I, but it, again... I have stated this since he was put in. I have said this since he was put into the head coaching slot in Boston Uh six years ago. You don't spend 13 years back in the minors after it after a head coaching spot in the NHL without a reason. Yeah, he was head head coach down there in Washington, and then promptly disappeared after being terminated and. Makes his reappearance but, with the Bruins, but okay. I think Stednika over over Nosek. I think that's a little surprising. 
Um, I think that it comes down to I don't expect that Nosek would be picked up off of waivers, and I do think that because of the cost difference, uh, that Stadnika would. I or actually, the cost difference is less than I thought. Uh, Stadnika's or Nosek is one point seven five, um, but he's also thirty years old. I can agree with that. But from a different standpoint, I think that Stadnika, yes, he would get scooped up faster than Nosik. The only issue I have is that Nosik has been a solid third, fourth liner wherever he's been. He's also been a solid penalty killer. I'm not. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Nosik clears waivers. You're probably right, and I think that that solidity there is always a big plus for him. Like, even if I'm putting Studnika in and I'm telling Studnika, this is your position to lose, we're going to evaluate on a game-by-game basis, we're going to make adjustments, but if I tell you the same thing five games in a row, you're going to sit for a while and Nosek is serving as the 13th forward, I'm okay with that. Because you can also put Nosek in on either wing. Is um, going to be okay with that? <laughs> well, I don't know that Nosek is going to be happy sitting in in, in the uh, ninth level. But what good player is? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I actually I said when he was signed that I thought AJ Greer was the most likely of Sweeney's early year signings to make the team. Um, I mean, does AJ is AJ Greer anyway exempt, or I don't know what his deal? Yeah, no, he's not exempt. But I also think he earned a spot. He did play well, and what he played well. He was physical. He didn't take stupid penalties. He had a solid fight, um, and he scored a couple of times, and they weren't. They weren't off his butt or, you know, nine deflections off of the opposing players in front or the goaltender just being six feet out of position. They were they were good to goals. I will ask this question very quickly, and it's more. In, what is it with the Sweeney's and his predilection to the 2015 draft? because A.J. Greer was a second-round pick in 2015 of the Colorado Avalanche. I think he's going back and looking at all of those scout report, scouting reports and saying, yeah, I could have done better. Yeah, I could have done better. Yeah, I could have done better. 39th overall, A.J. Greer. But I still don't, like, at 39, like legitimately at 39th, I think the Greer was taken too high. Sorry, not sorry. That's fine. And what I've seen of him, he looked re- he looked pretty good in preseason. I mean, at this point, he's only gotten into 47 NHL games. He's got eight points, including two goals in that time. Um, I don't hate him, but you know, you look at you look at some of the guys behind him. Um, I mean, Vince Dunn is a defenseman. He's played a, he's played 340 games and has 137 points in that time. <laughs> yeah, I know. Don't remind me. 
Uh, Keegan Colasar taken behind him uh, at 99th, or 69th, actually. 122 games, 37 points in that time. Another guy that, uh, actually, Anthony Sorelli was in this draft. Right. Man, did Sweeney screw this one up. Yep, that's why I said stop. (laughs) You're only going to hurt yourself. Back to, yes, before I start actually foaming at the mouth, we'll move up one more line. Yes. I'm okay with this one. The 11-12-13 line. They have chemistry. They played together in the past. It's looked, it, it looks like a decent line when they're on the ice. My problem here, it, yes. when Craig Smith doesn't show up, it impacts the line more than it should. Some of that is on Trent Frederick for trying to do too much. But some a big portion of that is Craig Smith. He's old enough. He's experienced enough. He needs to be more consistent. Yes. Period. Um, but if this three, if this trio can work together, and the bottom trio can work together, I think you have a really solid uh, like second to, six. I would like to see more offense out of out of Frederick, but if Trent Frederick can riddle hit that level of focus that's somewhat relaxed and somewhat intense and just play his game, I think I think we can see more offense from him than we've seen to date. I'm not I'm not penciling him in for twenty seven goals. No. Not after seeing what his style of play is and, and but in sixty games last year he still had eight goals. That's not terrible. Particularly given how often he was yanked after any given mistake. He did have a quick trigger, Cassidy did with all of the young players, many of whom left here and went elsewhere and started playing. The odd the odd thing is, and I, I you know don't want to dredge up the past too far, but the odd thing is Claude Julien caught a lot of flack for completely ridiculous flack. The way the way he handled the youngsters and oh they they don't want to play here because he's not giving them playing time. Cassidy was t- was tough on the youngsters and nobody said anything. Well, here's the thing. Young guys who played or who were given opportunities in two seasons under Julian, who left here, never amounted to anything. Like, I can't think of a single person, maybe one, um, the one who ended up maybe uh, Riley Smith. Agent Smith, yeah. I can't think of a single player other than him who played two years, didn't get significant time, and then went to be better elsewhere. Tyler Sagan is Tyler Sagan regressed in terms of a total game for at least two <laughs> years. Um, when he was when he went to Dallas, he needed to not he needed to not be in Boston or New York or L.A. 
I think going to Dallas for him was actually one of the smartest things. That, I mean, oh, it was. I know we traded him. I know we traded him there, but rather than going for his for him, yes, I because think the distractions were definitely were significantly lowered. I'm not saying Dallas is like a podunk town. It's not, but it's not L.A. It's not New York. It's not Boston. It's not Chicago. Well, hockey isn't number one or even number two there. Um, and it's still a big enough city that you can get lost and you can go out and have fun. And the hockey media is nowhere near as Brutal. assertive, assertive as it is here. Good word. Um, and then, so that line I'm okay with. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it for now. Yeah. Uh, then there's what I've called the check-in line. The check-in line back together again, maybe. Well, I'm still not yet sold on Pavel Zaka being a top six forward. Given injuries. Okay. Given expenditure to acquire him. Given past chemistry with Pasternak when they played internationally. I'm willing to give it 20, 25 games. I think this... I. I my concern with this whole Zaka Krejci pasta thing, my concern with this is the decision is going to be based on one game where they had three goals, six assists. I mean, it makes sense. Hello, they're playing together. So if you, if they score goals, the other guys are getting a sit. Three goals, six assists on this line. And then, oh, wait, pasta had a goal last night. Chris, Chris, yeah, this decision was made before the preseason started. You think? Yes. Because I thought that the idea was that they were going to put Zaka on the Raptors line. And no, I, I, I genuinely think this decision was made before the preseason started, before Hall's injury. Was this decision made before or after they brought Krejci back into the fold? Oh, I think that that was part of signing Krejci. Yep, you're going to get – because jump in your way back machine to about 10, 12 years ago, and David Krejci says in an interview that he really likes and prefers playing with European players because they think the same way or they play the game the same way, something like that. And guess what he's doing now? Not just other Europeans – Two guys from his own country. And not right, and, 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 and I'm not, younger than him, but Yeah. And I'm not denying that there is some chemistry there. I don't think there's I don't think that it it's as built up as as Jack made it sound lot during last night's game. I mean, he was like, Oh, you put these three together, it's instant I don't know about that. Yes, I think because they came from the same background. They have similar fundamentals. So, yes, there's going to be a somewhat natural chemistry at the base. But I'm not willing to say that, oh, my God, they mesh. They, they, you know, they're, they're in each other's heads. They know where everybody's going to be. I'm not ready to go that far. But, yeah, because they come from the same background, I'm sure they have similar fundamentals. Okay. So, yeah, there's there's something to build on there. I'm just not yet 
Are you going to move Pasta back up to the top line? Are you going to put Taylor Hall back with? Oh no, no, no! According to <clears throat> according to various talking heads on Twitter, this is the top line. Oh, oh, oh! Yeah. Oh. Um, and Man. honestly, based on the other line, at least at present, I might have a hard time arguing with them because. The other line is Patrice Bergeron, <laughs> Jake DeBrusque back on the right-hand side where he found success last year. And of all of the players currently signed don't, to the Boston Bruins. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Nick Foligno. Oh. Now, if this were the Nick Foligno of 10 years ago, I wouldn't necessarily have an issue with that. Or the Nick Foligno of... Seven years ago, I wouldn't necessarily have an issue with that. Wait, Nick scored a goal last night, though, so that immediately vaulted him into superstar status again. But we're talking about 34-year-old Nick Foligno, who has not made it into double digits and goals uh, since the 1920 season. Yes, we've had abbreviated seasons since then, but who has been... Not especially good um, <laughs> in those in the past six years because he was the last not time especially he, good last year. No, last year he was terrible. Oh, okay. Right. And I and I say that as a Nick Foligno fan, but last year he was terrible. But the last time he crossed twenty goals was in the sixteen seventeen season, which is kind of a long time ago. And while I don't think anyone expects this to persist into the postseason, let me remind you that in 62 playoff games, he's got 24 goals or 24 points total. Nine goals and zero in his last 18 playoff games. No, I'm sorry, that's 11 playoff games. Zero mm-hmm. goals, his last 11 playoff games for sure. Because um, he's had made two playoff appearances in that time. Seven with the Leafs. Uh, I'm sorry. Four with, four with the Toronto Maple Leafs and seven with the Boston Bruins. And couldn't find a goal in either case. Um, people were saying he was improving at the end of last year. I'm reasonably certain. I'd have to recheck and maybe look it up. Uh, ha- Maybe there's a TikTok video that could explain it to me, but I'm reasonably certain that the playoffs count as the end of the season Um, and him not producing in the playoffs last year. That's a little worrisome. So if I told you that Mr. Nick Foligno was a first round draft pick, 28th overall by Ottawa, would that surprise you? No, because there have been a lot of questionable first-round picks over the years. And it's also in the 2006 draft where, let's face it, Eric Johnson was taken first overall. And still playing, or did he finally retire? I don't remember if he's, he's, if he's hung up yet, but it's Eric Johnson, he's... Jordan Stahl, and then Jonathan Taze. Yeah, okay, that was a terrible pick. I can see that, yeah. Nick Backstrom, Phil Kessel, Derek Broussard, Kyle Ocposo, 
um, Peter Kyle Mueller, Lock. James Shepard, and Michael Froelich as your top ten. Kyle Kyle Lockposo named captain of the Sabers. Of those ten players, maybe Jonathan Taze and maybe Nick Backstrom are going to get into the Hall of Fame, and I think that that's a stretch. Taze, I think, goes. Backstrom. Going to be tough. That one that one might be a little bit more difficult to sell. Um, Only one, well, only one cop, which is more than a lot of people get. <laughs> you say only. Some guys go their whole careers with zero. <laughs> Um, but this was not a good, a deep draft. Like, Clearly not. <laughs> I mean, the best case for argue, the best argument you can make for depth in this draft is the fact that Brad Marchand went in the third round. And is what the second best player in that draft? Depending on who, on what sort of fist fights you want to start, you can make a case that he is the. I mean, current. Actually, if you're going to go with current player or current impact, you can make a case that today he is the best player in the draft. Yes. You can argue back and forth that Jonathan Taze and Nick Backstrom have been the best player at various points since then. Um, Claude Giroux is in the mix. Um, we both know I love Jordan Stahl. Milan Lucic was in this draft. Yep, I was just going to say that. You know who else was in this draft? Yep. Um, just but, under, he's going to hit 1,100 games. Yep. Can he make it to 1,200? I don't know. I'm, I'm genuinely not sure that Lucic tries. Tries what? Hit twelve hundred. And he's four games away from eleven hundred. So obviously that's like first week, week and a half of the season, two weeks of the season, whatever. Yeah, but he needs to play another complete season plus another dozen games. Yeah. Um, I have no, I, I have no issues with Milan. Yeah, none. Other than that. But we were joking about showcasing someone. I, I'm not That's, entirely certain it's a joke. I think they're showcasing Nick Foligno. Put him on the top line or the second line if you want to go with this whole. If they could get him four goals by U.S. Thanksgiving, I get, I think there's actually a chance someone would pick him up without the Bruins having to retain half south. But the problem is where do you – Taylor Hall is not as hurt as Taylor Hall was what we were first led on. So he's going to be back shortly. Correct. What do you do? What are you going to do with Felino when Hall comes back? Because you have to put Hall somewhere. No, there's no question that you would put Hall in over Felino. The question then becomes, do you keep showcasing Felino and put him on one of the other lines? Maybe you slide him in for Frederick or Smith. Or do you stuff him onto the fourth line and pull out uh, Greer or Wagner? Um, I, I genuinely think that even as much as Neely and Sweeney don't particularly like to fire coaches, I think that if 
if uh, Montgomery looked at them and said, yeah, sure, Taylor's back, but I'm going to leave Nick Foligno on the top line <laughs> um, and let Hall sit in the ninth level for another month, that he'd probably have uh, an office emptied out but for it, him before, before the not, end of that day. That's not fair to Montgomery, though. You're putting Now you're putting the emphasis on Montgomery. The emphasis to showcase a player comes from upper management, comes from Sweeney and and, and the coach's the, job is to win games with the available players. Exactly. And if Taylor Hall is available and then then I don't think Montgomery's going to be the one saying to sit him. I think that that decision would come from Sweeney and Neely. No, 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 no. It would almost showcase have, Felino. It would there's have no, to. Like there's no way that so Montgomery wouldn't. I mean, that should be a resume generating event for Sweeney and Neely. But then again, they've already had a few and still nothing's happened. So I don't know that, that they're on, I don't even know if their seats are warm at this point because they've done some things and they're still sitting in the same seats. Oh, here's the thing. We all know that because of what the rest of his, where the rest of where his income comes, comes from, that Jeremy Jacobs cares most about bots coming in, buying popcorn, beer, and jerseys. He, he cares more about that than he does another cup. Would he love another cup? Absolutely. Not only does it mean more home games where he's not paying players' salary, it means more opportunities to sell popcorn and uh, and beer at like $19 for Bud Light, um, but because oh. yeah. he owns uh, he owns a concession company that supplies a lot of arenas across the world. Sports service, if I'm not mistaken. Delaware North, yeah. Delaware North, yeah. Um. So yeah, I do not like these predictions. Um, and I don't know that they're based on the best information, given that uh, given the Grizzly is really close. Like if I am, if I'm Sweeney and I saw what, and I saw as much potential in the young defenseman as I did, you know, whether it's, Ashan Wolf, uh, the last sort of the last guys here uh, on the defense. Mm-hmm. I might, I might roll the dice on not signing Strawman and put one of those guys in on the blue line to start the season, knowing that Matt Grizzlick is probably going to be back by the end of October rather than the end of November. I think it's I think it's I understand that you write the you write the articles to generate interest to to catch people's uh, focus. I get all that. But I think the fluidity of all this makes his predictions a little bit eh. because, yes, there's. (laughs) 
a healthier defenseman a Taylor right Hall. away. There's clearly, there's t- clearly a Taylor Hall, you know, potential. There's clearly a Grizzly potential, it, and those two players alone throw your predictions kind of right out. Window. By the way, left defenseman. Yep. Which means that one of the guys you have on the left is coming out. And to me, Zaboral. It's Zaboral, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't have to think too hard on that. It's Zaboral. Not because Zaboral's bad, but because Grizzly is better. Grizzly's better. Thank you. <laughs> It's it's that simple. It's not even math. It's it, this is this is not trigonometry. This is two plus two versus one plus one. Everyone can figure that one out. Yeah. Um, now we're going to jump into these contracts really really quickly because we do want to get to the season long projections. Um, Barzal's extension. Matthew Barzal. I like this one. I, I think it's a strong like fit, strong move forward for the team. Um, I'm sort of fascinated that they did it A, ahead of time, and B, that they actually managed to keep the cap hit um, lower than the last year, well, his last year's base salary. Um because this year, the this year is the final year of his contract. Um, the new contract doesn't kick in until next year. Um, the total salary, total base salary, was ten is ten million for the year. Um, next year, the cap hit, and for all eight years of the cap is of the contract is nine point one five zero. They were well. Clearly, they were able to do it because. The last contract was obviously built in 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 stepladder form, where you know base salary was three, then seven, then ten. Whereas now it's all averaged out. It's the same every year of the con. I mean, I can sell that to a player. Hey, your contract this year, your average annual value, what you're going to get per year is less than you're getting this season, but it's an eight-year deal and it's the same every season. There's no step ups. There's no step downs. Uh, you can sell that. And so, with a 22 team, no trade contract, uh, no trade clause. 22. That still leaves 12 or 11 teams. No, 10 teams. Sorry. Not yes. enough coffee this morning. <laughs> so basically right. what he's saying is you're going to trade me to a contender or not at all. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there's no, no movement clause, which I think is way more important than the number of teams that you're allowed to trade or not trade to. Um, I don't know how much longer Uncle Lou is going to be in charge on the island. He's <laughs> not a particularly young man. Um, and he's now on his, I think, second or possibly third coach. Uh, and by not particularly young, I mean that on October 21st, he is going to turn 80 years old. Well, it's got to be his third coach because he replaced whoever it was with trots and then fired trots and replaced him with whoever it is now. Um, I thought trots took 
decided not to renew his contract or something like that. Lane Lambert. Lane Lampert, who had been an assistant coach, but yeah. So it, I don't know. I, did they? Did they? Did Trotz just not want to come back? I thought they. I don't remember at this point, but not not particularly relevant. Right. Um, what I'm saying is that yeah, he's on at least he's on at least coach number three. Um. So no no real issue there. Um. I think that. Particularly given the trade it took to get him to Calgary, um, the Mackenzie Weger deal is a really good sign, and Calgary fans should be pretty g dang happy because uh, mm-hmm. they've got Hannafin, they've got Weger. Um, I'm not as sold on the rest of their the rest of their defensive crew, but. It's still pretty solid, and it's definitely better than Edmonton overall. Um, you've got don't get me started. <laughs> you've got Jacob Markstrom um, and backed up at least apparently on paper by uh, Daniel Vladar as of today. Um, they do need to make some moves to get cap compliant, but uh, and you've got that you've got that forward group that I think is pretty interesting. You've got really, really gritty guys like Kadri and Lucic. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Blake Coleman. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got some really slick players like uh, Tyler Tapoli. You've got Jonathan Huberto. Yep. Um, I, I my, favorite, my favorite drop... forward. What? My favorite forward, Elias Lindholm. Elias Lindholm. Who I think they the stole drop... from Carolina. I genuinely think Calgary could be trouble for a lot of teams. Like if they can beef up their defense at the deadline with just one more serious, serious player, someone else to round out the top four. They might do it all. Which is something that scoring Mangiapane. I mean, correct. I don't even know if you get to count Mangiapane as depth score. I mean, the guy had, what, 35 goals last year? Yeah. And Step then, up from the year before when he had 18. <laughs> that doubling is nearly as curious as the, uh, as the well, one from a certain Rangers player last year. He went from playing all 56 games in 2021 to playing all 82 games in 21-22. Uh, that's it. it. It would seem that health is not. Uh, uh, yes, he's young. I get it, but he hasn't missed a whole lot of hockey here. Played and that's that's games. a good sign for the future. Yes. Um, he's a good looking am, young player. They they could be scary. I agree with you on that one. I think that Calgary could be scary. Well, I'm less buoyant on the team overall. Uh, the fact that the Dallas Stars finally, finally, finally have brought uh, Jason Robertson back in the building. <laughs> what the hell were they waiting for? <laughs> is probably the most sensible thing the Dallas Stars have done in like two years. Because without him. For? And I, 
I don't even think Jason Robertson has to produce wait, we, at the same level he did last year. I was going to say, wait, wait, wait. We don't need your 41 goals and 79 points. We're going to take our time signing. Stop it. That was ridiculous it took so long. And it's not even a break it's not even a backbreaking contract. It's a hmm. four-year, seven point seven or seven and three quarter million contract. That's it. Yeah. That's it. For a four year score. A guy whose first two seasons were broken by the uh by COVID. Yep. Who shows up and in his first full NHL season, he does miss eight games. Um, but he put he scores it better than a point per game. He goes to the playoffs for the first time in his career and produces four points in seven games. That's more than certain players who have made who are still making a great deal more money than he is can claim. Mm-hmm. I mean, their theoretical leadership from Tyler Sagan who also only had four games, um, and that's a guy with a ring. And Jamie Benn, who's basically been Tyler Sagan's wingman for seven or eight years at this point, he put up two points in seven games in the playoffs last year and only had 46 points in the regular season. Did anybody stop and ask Jim Nill the question? Which question? The hell took so long? If they did, they probably didn't get an answer. Sometimes um, I sit in on these press conferences. I, I don't have a problem with any of these deals. I do think the Jason Robertson deal taking too long is potentially worrying for the wow. other young talent on the team. I think it's potentially worrying because he has missed all of training camp, all of preseason. Uh, he's, it it he's does probably, put him in danger of an early season stupid injury. He's probably he probably showed up to captain's practices, but that's about it. You can't but, go into any official organized. So, yeah, he's probably been working out on his own. He's skating on his own. I get all that. But as far as generating chemistry with the guys and yeah, he probably has some from that, you know, some it, there's the, there is a chemistry there. And, and, and like I said, with the 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 check in line, but. A new head coach because bonus is gone. So you've got possibly a different system. Yep. I, I think he's behind the curve at this point. I mean, they'll play him because his talent dictates that he should play. Oh, I, I there's no argument there. My concern, uh, I'm actually looking at it from the other end. Okay. What message does it, taking this long to get a guy signed who you know produces, send to Rupe Hints, who's an RFA uh, with arbitration rights this summer. They're going to mess around with me. I'm just going to go somewhere else. So if someone else comes up to him with a 90% of his offer or 90% of his target salary offer, and he's six days into offer sheet eligibility, and the Dallas Stars are still playing around and sending him numbers at 78% or 75% of his target, do you think he's going to sign that offer sheet? I do. Oh, from another no matter, team, yes. 
Yeah. And, you know, another guy, Dennis Gariano, he had, I mean, he's an RFA with, uh, with offer sheet eligibility. I don't expect that he'll get one. Uh, he hasn't been super, super productive like Robertson or Hintz, but he might just flat out say, I don't want to play here. Send me somewhere else. I just, I, yeah, I, 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 I feel that Jim Neal set uh, a, sent a bad, a bad, he set a bad precedent, sent a bad message. Uh, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, it's negative. I, I, it, it, turning around and saying, "Yeah, we got him signed. We brought, we got him in house. He's back." You did, uh, yeah. But again, it comes back to the question: What took so long? You know, you want this kid. If you didn't, well, a you're foolish, and b you should have dealt him. But uh now, they have some moves in order to get cap compliant, as we mentioned. At the yes. moment, they're showing 14 forwards and, what is it, nine defensemen? Yeah, nine defensemen. So finding a way to make that work shouldn't be too big of a deal. Um, but I think that one of the guys who's going to be a trade target um, early in the season for teams who don't have goaltending, assuming they can arrange it, is on the, is part of this organization. And that's Anton uh, Hudobin. Oh yeah, he's currently buried two million dollar salary, two million in change salary. Um, actually, no, his cap hit is three and change. But I think that he's one of those guys who's going to be like if Vegas could arrange to get him. I think that he's better than. The guys that Vegas has right now. Mm. And on that note, uh, quickly, I pulled it up. According to this, it, it, they're calling it a bridge contract uh, for Robertson. Uh, to resolve the differences, Robertson and his agent, Pat Brisson, that explains a lot, acquiesced on their request for a long term contract. The stars and general manager, Jim Neal, in turn, gave a bit on the desired cap hit. All the relevant comparable contracts for bridge deal landed between 7 and 7.35 mil. So it sounds like they both, the way this is written, and I'm reading from an article, Matthew DeFranks in the Dallas Morning News. Uh, according to Matthew, it's a, it's a bridge deal. Both sides kind of gave in just to get him in, just to get him back on the ice and, and officially because I'm sure he's been on the ice. Uh, but they still got some money. In, they still got money problems. And and then they've got a few guys who are on entry-level contracts, blah, blah, blah. But I just wanted to get that. Uh, he There's still no answer as to what took so damn long. So. Dallas didn't want to pay long and didn't want to sign him long-term. Period. Again, again does that set another negative... Yes. Vibe. Yes. Okay, just checking. Um, let's actually. Why don't you grab the Swayman for number one uh, story real quick? <laughs> Swayman for number. So I pull this thing up. 
and says, why Jeremy Swayman becoming clear number one is the best case scenario for the Bruins. Uh, Nick Goss wrote this. Um, thumbing through it, it actually went into more detail than I originally expected. Um, Nick actually really does a good a good job. Yeah, um, no, it, it's very detailed. I'm still just trying to understand. I'm still just trying to understand where he's. I mean, you bring in a guy like Omar and you pay him five million dollars a year. I'm not saying Swayman shouldn't or couldn't be number one, but Omar actually outplayed him this po- this preseason. I mean, it, the last That's certainly game, true. It's only the preseason. It is, but I still think that he stood out more. I think that Omar and one of the things that I learned about Omar because they had him wired up last night. So I got to hear the communication that he has with the guys and telling them wheel, wheel, wheel and, and you know, directing traffic and where they should send the puck and he's going to handle it or he's doing it. I thought that was – I loved that insight. But back to Swayman being number one, I think that Swayman morphing into the clear-cut number one goalie would allow the Bruins to move Allmark's cap hit and free up cap space. That's what everybody wanted them to do a couple of months ago when Vegas suddenly discovered that they weren't going to have a number one. And why wasn't why wasn't he dealt? And, and why would you deal Allmark? You just brought him in. He's finally getting a chance to work with and without the, the the word I'm looking for, without the conundrum of having Tuka Rask over your head. Oh, I think so the Rask thing is a is not is not something that's been discussed enough. And yes, I do like Ullman's communic Allmark's communication. I'm not I don't remember them. I don't remember them hooking Swayman up, so we don't know if he communicates in the same way or at a similar level, but I just thought, I thought that was very interesting last night when he's sitting there and he's yelling wheel, wheel, wheel and, and, and directing traffic and, you know, uh, and then even paying compliments, good stick, good stick. You know, it, it just, I, I Swayman is a potential number one. Yes. Swayman's got the skills. He's got the fundamentals. I love watching him. I did before they drafted him when he was at UMaine and, when he was playing for for Anchorage, it, he's got all the skills. But right now, you've got Allmark. If you run them as a one A one B, you 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 don't overtax either one of them. I still think that it's going to get you the same. Yeah, if you if if somebody gets on a run, you play them two, three, four games in a row. You know, if they happen to be the hot goaltender, it's kind of like the playoffs. That's what you do. That's how most teams win in the playoffs. You have a hot goaltender. I mean, unless you Correct. can completely overpower them, unless you can completely overpower a team, either defensively or offensively, usually the hot goaltender ends up saving your bacon once, twice. I mean, Holtby did it for Washington against Vegas. Absolutely. Um, I just, Let's I, dive I, into the predictions because I think that uh, I think that this is 
I think that the predictions every year are fascinating. Um, one of the more interesting ones, at least according to the folks at the Edmonton Journal, uh, is the fact that Wyshynski, um of uh, ESPN actually picked their hometown boys to go to the Stanley Cup final or to actually win the Stanley Cup, something he's really never done before. He's never picked the Oilers or he's never picked a Stanley Cup winner? He's never picked the Oilers as a Stanley Cup winner. <laughs> now, Wish also picked the Islanders last year to win the Stanley Cup, which didn't quite work out that way. And by not quite, I mean the Islanders didn't even make the playoffs for those who have already buried last year. Um, as much as I would like to completely dismiss the idea of the Edmonton Oilers making the Stanley or winning the Stanley Cup, I don't think it's completely ridiculous. Why? Do they have the defense that I think it takes to win? Not really. Okay. But watching their their exit series last year, their number one defenseman probably would would I'm willing to say with a 99.9999 certainty that had those last games been regular season games, he would not have played because he looked like he was in extreme pain the whole time. And you can make the, and we know that um, Leon Dreisaitl was probably at 25%, not 60% or 75% or 80% and, or sure not a hundred percent. And Connor McDavid finally had a breakout playoff um, run, not just a good game or two. He had the type of playoff games that he has regular season games where he made it look like he's playing a game on easy while everyone else is playing it on expert. Like he just looked like the best player in the league in the play in that in those playoffs. And if he can go into the playoffs with that team healthy around him with Evander Kane returned with Leon Dreisaitl healthy. It's, it's really hard to bet on them at worst making the Western conference final, uh, but he didn't predict Western conference finals. He predicts Stanley cup and it's not going to happen to play in the Stanley cup final. I think, I still think that's possible because as much as Calgary is, probably better defensively. I don't know that they're going to win a seven game series where the scores are going to be six, five, seven, seven, four every single night. That's the whole point of having better defense is that they're not going to be six, five. They're not going to be, it's going to be Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Evander Kane. You're not containing all three of them. And the rest of the team isn't offensively terrible either. Yes. Edmonton. Once you get past Darnell Nurse and Evan Bouchard, who I like, I'm not ready to anoint him yet because he's only 22, but I like him. Um, 
I'm sorry, Tyson Barry, no. Cody CC, no. Drew Gulak, no. I'm sorry, Brett Kulak. Um, Philip Broberg, bro. No, I, I no. This defense, no. And then you bring in Jack Campbell, who, oh wait, last year played for Toronto, who, oh wait, blew a three-game lead en route to losing in seven to Tampa Bay for the umpteenth year in a row. Jack Campbell, I love Jack Campbell in L.A. He had a better defense in front of him in L.A. In Toronto, he had that's a given. He had Zippo defense in front of him. In Edmonton, he's got slightly better than Zippo defense in front of him, but not by much. Darnell Nurse and Evan Bouchard are slightly better than Jake Muzzin and a bunch of backup singers. I'm sorry. That there's nothing to apologize for making that statement. I, I just I don't see Edmonton. It, it, I just got finished saying, and and I have to stand by the statement that a hot goalman can Campbell steal them one? Yes, but I don't know that. I think that Brett Kulak and Cody Cece are probably better than you think they are. And Tyson Berry will, of course, contribute to that offense. You've got Zach Hyman there. Who are you? And what did you do with Mike, who couldn't stand Tyson Berry because he couldn't find couldn't find the the defense? The defense I said he contributes to the offense. I still don't necessarily believe in his defense, but he will contribute to an already ridiculous offense. Um, yes, the one thing about this team is their offense is quite potent. They, can you name me a better offense in the NHL? Mm. I can't name me a better offense in the NHL. No. Tampa Bay maybe comes close. Yeah, uh, uh, Dallas's no. youth is good, but if they're healthy, I think Toronto might be as good. Toronto, maybe. Vegas might be as good. Because they added Eichel? They, they have two really good lines, and you can make the argument that they're that the offense, that their defense and bottom lines can contribute is probably as good as what Edmonton would get. But I wouldn't call it a sure thing that they're as good, particularly given that Vegas has <clears throat> so somewhat less than questionable goaltending this year. So let me get this straight, just to bring this back to the actual article we're discussing here. Uh, from Cult of Hockey, David Staples, who at the end of this, where it says, my take, writes, of course I hope Wyshynski is correct, and I'm also picking the Oilers to win it, but I'm a fan of the team. I make predictions for the team with my heart. My head tells me the Colorado Avalanche still represent a massive Mount Everest-sized stumbling block. To answer Wyshynski's question, why not now? The Avs. And that right there is my answer as well. Better goaltending, better defense. They may not have as many skilled goal scorers as Edmonton, but 
there's nothing wrong with a combination of Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog. The one thing that hurts them is that they lost Nazem Kadri, but they re, they, they brought back JT Comper, who is a strong two-way player, 200-foot. And their defense is better. I'm sorry, Kale McCarr. Say what you want. He's offensive. He's offensive-minded, whatever. He's still a strong defense. You got Sam Girard. You got Bowen Byram. Uh, yeah. Colorado I, is a better team. I'm not, I have a hard time picking any team to repeat in the NHL. Um, That's supposed to be the whole point of parity, but yeah. And I think that both having won the cup and playing at altitude and the loss of Nazem Kadri's both his utility and his uh, truculence, I think, hurt the team. As much as I love Kale McCarr, he's not bringing that sandpaper. Bowen Byram, nope. Um, yes, Gabriel Landeskog will throw down with whoever if he thinks it's going to benefit the team. He, he, he and got, I think he that got, he, he got up and he got up in Lucic. I, I give him credit for that. I thought he was dumb as a bag of rocks for doing it, but <laughs> I mean, you must remember that image of Milan with his handful of chest hair of, of Landis Gog backing him into the, into the corner. Because I, Gabe I did do. something that Milan didn't agree with. I, I thought that standing up to him showed a lot of, uh, not necessarily a lot of brains, but yes, dumber in a bag of rocks for doing it because Milan would have buried him. Uh. Um, so if the Oilers are not going to win the Stanley Cup in your in your mind, let's take a look at some of the other predictions for making the playoffs and who's going to be in and who's going to be out. Uh and Patrick Bacon, who's uh, who tweets his top-down hockey, put out predictions for all four divisions from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. He does have the Oilers at 103 points, 83.2% chance of making the playoffs. Um, how do you get point three? How do you get three tenths of a point in the NHL? He he detailed his a fairly complicated system for making these projections. Okay. And I will be fascinated to see if it's right, because I think that some of these predictions are extremely wonky. Um, we'll we'll get to the Metropolitan Division in just a minute. Um, but looking at that Pacific Division, even allowing for questionable goaltending as of today. Yeah. I still do not understand how you put the Seattle Kraken ahead of the Vegas Golden Knights. Wow. I'm not even sure That's, I understand. That, yeah, I, I missed that one. Ooh. I'm not even sure that I understand putting uh, the LA Knights, LA Kings ahead of the Knights. LA Knights. I know where your mind is. <laughs> um, you're you have a fiendish intellect. What can I say? Let me in. Um, the Canucks as as third in the division. 
I think that, I think oh. that more than any other team in the league this year, the Canucks are boom or bust. It's either going to be something like them coming in second or third in the division, mm-hmm. or they're going to finish where he somehow has the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, I don't know where what his algorithm. I don't know what his algorithm is, but there's a flaw there because I don't see the Canucks finishing that high. I don't see the Sharks finishing ahead of the Ducks. I don't see the Kraken finishing ahead of the Ducks. But that division is the squishiest in the entire league, so all things are possible. True, true. true. I just don't think this is likely. Um, Atlantic Division. Oh, you're jumping from west to east. Yes, I am. Ocean to ocean. Okay. Florida Panthers, 109.2 points. 97.2% 97.2% chance of making the playoffs, which is, by the way, the highest he has in his model. So they're gonna and say, you know what? So he's saying the Panthers are going to win the President's Trophy. I have no problem with that. I think the Florida Panthers, with the truculence added by the, by the blockbuster deal of the summer, have a really good shot at winning the division because we've discussed the Toronto Maple Leafs. They hurt themselves defensively, though. They don't have defense. They're probably going to make... We talked about how they're going to be using four forwards at time because they trust their defense that little. <laughs> For good reason. Um, I, so Toronto coming in second? Sure, in the regular season I can live with that. I think that the Bruins finishing third might be a little optimistic, even though the Lightning have lost McDonough and Palat and, oh God, who was the other one? Um, Other key player, given that the Bruins are really going to be shorthanded, um, even if Grizzlick is back in in October and not in December or late November, Mm -hmm. they're still without McAvoy. They're going to be without Hall. And they're they're going to be without Marchand, who I think is very much a part of stirring the drink in Boston. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know that Marchand coming back in December 10th is going to be enough to push them into third ahead of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are only listed 1.7 points behind them. Um, what do you think of the the way the bottom four are listed in the Atlantic Division? Bottom four in the Atlantic. Uh, let's see. Squishy. Um, it's almost like I can see the Senators in fifth. I can see the Senators in fourth. I think the Wings are going to be better. I, you know, I don't have a problem with it. I I think I think the Senators potentially could finish in fourth. I think the Red Wings are going to be improved. I honestly think Buffalo should, may well hand, end up ahead of Detroit, but I don't know that it's a def, I don't I wouldn't say it's definite. Um, I have concerns about Buffalo. I have oh, concerns about the Red Wings too. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think that anyone who doesn't have concerns about either of those teams doesn't understand hockey. But bringing in Kyle, bringing bringing in 
Was did, was it Ocposo they brought in? Who brought in? No, apparently uh, the Sabers. Or Ocposo. Oh, was it was David Perron, I think that Perron, who doesn't play. He only plays well in a Blues jersey. Yes. I just, I Buffalo just, I have not. I'm not. I'm certainly not predicting them to win the the Atlantic Division. I mean, yes, they have Tage Thompson. You've sold me on Tage Thompson. I'll 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 give you Tage Thompson, but Jeff Skinner doesn't have a center like Eichel that can dish off to him. Ocposo is 34 years old. I love Alex Tuck. Loved him when he was with Vegas. Loved him when he was at Boston College. Uh, but not a 40-goal scorer. What do you think of them? I, I what do you think the Sabres naming Ocposo captain? I read that, and I get why they did it, I think. I mean, he's the oldest voice in the locker room. He's got the I'm, I, I, to me, he's probably got the most experience, the exception of, of maybe a Jeff Skinner. The defense is young, except for Labushkin. And you've also got Quinn, uh, Quinn coming in this year, who should, 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 should. Be a whole bunch a Jack Quinn coming in who should be a whole bunch better, and you've got him and JJ Paterka um, having made the roster. Okay, if those guys play at seventy percent of what they're going to be two years from, of what people are hoping they're going to be two years from now. They're going to be a serious concern a couple of games this year. Again, I am not picking the Buffalo Sabres to win the playoffs. I am going to say right now they're going to have at least three major upsets where they run over a good team in something that isn't a trap game and make them look bad. They're going to catch the Panthers or the Lightning or the Bruins or the Leafs with their pants down, and that team is going to leave the building feeling rudely used. Um, Detroit's the one that got David Perron. That's okay. I, I was yeah. confusing Detroit and Buffalo. And, and 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 to me, that's I think that might be a a, a slight gap on on Eisman's part. I don't think Perron plays as well when he's not in St. Louis. But looking at their roster, Kubalik, Zadina, you got Moritz Sider on deep, yeah, the the rookie of the year. You bring in Andrew Kopp for, I mean, he's 28 years old. I keep saying for veteran presence, but he's not that old. You got Pew Suter there. It, it, the problem with that, with his team, I mean, Lucas Raymond is is fabulous. I, I The problem with his team is you need, the, the youngsters, they need to stay on the positive side. You know, the, the, it's too easy to see them struggle and then yeah it's all over and he brought in Billy Huso and that to push Nedeljkovic and I'm pretty sure that's why they did it because Huso does have the ability to be a number one okay 
was I, I seem to I firmly kind of believe that the that signing Iran was a strategic move for yeah. organizational enhancement and not a part of the future. I firmly believe he'll get traded to back to St. Louis by the end of the year for an asset. And he was signed as a free agent, which means he was basically whatever they get back in that trade is a win. Yeah, probably. I can see that. Um, now, in the Central Division, uh, uh, yes, I think that numbers one and two, I'll go. I'm 100% okay with that. Three and Colorado, Minnesota. Yeah. I can. I'm okay with that. Done deal. I think three and four are interchangeable. I I think that three. Yeah, three and four are interchangeable because yes, Nashville improves by adding McDonough. Hard to argue with any other way. St. Louis mm-hmm. Blues. They need to figure out their goaltending, or their goaltending needs to figure out <laughs> that they're actually NHL goaltenders, at least in theory, and try and play like it. They they let they let the better goaltender go. Who's running that organization? Um, <laughs> did they have a choice? Because after watching Bennington, um, Doug Armstrong, who's running this organization? You brought in Thomas Grice, but you let Villa Huso go. Did you have to? Probably. Money wise, I mean, you're paying Bennington six mil a year for. Next four years. But you're paying one and a quarter to Grice for one year just as a backup. They must have somebody in the system that they're really high on. Is all I can well, think of. It might actually be Bennington, but. Well, I don't know. I don't know how good Joel Hofer is. I mean, Bennington had a nine. A 900 save percentage in the playoffs last year. Really? Hey, wait a minute. That's not, that's not right. I wanted to hang on to Jordan Bennington because Jordan Bennington had a 949 save percentage last year and a 1.72 goals against in six playoff games after having a 901 and a 3.13 in 37 regular season games. Uh, clearly it was not Jordan Bennington in Jordan Bennington's uniform. Because that number makes no sense based on the rest of the That is such an outlier. I'm sorry. And didn't he also throw a water bottle at another, at Nazem Kadri? Yes. No, that was a, or was that a Colorado player? Kadri played for Colorado. Okay, so it was, I think it was Bennington, but yeah. I just, um, he had a 1.72 goals against and a 9.49 save percentage in six playoff games. 9.49. Nothing in him, in his career shows ever being close to that number. No, nope. sorry. Incorrect. Chicago Wolves, 16 17, two playoff games. He had a 9.50 and a and a 186 goals against with Chicago Wolves. Uh, 
but in his in his St. Louis career, there's nothing. Did somebody like mess up the math or something? I don't. Hey, I think that every time I go look at Oz Soso's numbers, uh, that the year he was in net for the cup with the Wings. They are such an outlier, it's redonkulous. And I understand. And, and Huso was actually the one that struggled in the playoffs last year, but in 40 regular season games, he had a 919 save percentage. Um, last division. This is the one where I literally think that his algorithm is broken and needs to be taken out back <laughs> and just buried in an unmarked hole, um, possibly one that you irradiate just to be sure it doesn't come back. Because, okay. well, I genuinely believe that the New Jersey Devils are a better team this year than last year. And I genuinely believe that they have some really, really good young players on that team and that they're going to be a cup contender two or three years from now. There is nothing you can say that makes me believe that they're a better team than the New York Rangers today. And I don't care whether you put the two of them, those two teams. <laughs> I don't, I'm sorry, as, not interchangeable. <laughs> as 15 and 16 in the league, as one and two in the league, as 31 and 32 in the league, you're never going to convince me that the New Jersey Devils are a better team than the New York Rangers. In the Central, three and four, I said were interchangeable. In the Metropolitan, three and four are not interchangeable. By Mike's model, shouldn't the Rangers the be finishing like second in Mike's model? <laughs> by Mike's model, the New, the New York Rangers and Carolina Hurricanes are going to be duking it out for the Metro Division title until at least the, the second week of March. One of them will get ahead at that point and stay ahead. The Washington Capitals. Yes, if Backstrom comes back healthy, that's awesome. Uh, I would love to see him be able to finish his career on his terms. Now, to me, Capitals Capitals Devils could be interchangeable for three and four. I think that you could make a case that Capitals Devils and Penguins are all about the same. Three, four, five, okay. Yes, there is a significant drop-off when you get to Blue Jackets and Flyers and Islanders. I see. I don't know that the Flyers are as bad as this projection. I don't know that they can make the playoffs in this division, but I don't know if they're as bad as this projects them. I, 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 and you know, I hate to say it this way, but because somebody is obviously going to win the division, unfortunately, somebody also has to finish last in the division. And I think right now. It's either going to be the Blue Jackets or the Flyers. I think the I, Islanders might be slightly better, but even still, bottom three spots are all interchangeable for who's going to finish last, I think. And then there's the Bleacher Report mock draft, <laughs> which we almost don't have time for this week. Well, we officially <laughs> don't have time for this week, but let's go for it. No, it's just it, it, it's way it's the way too early 2023 mock NHL mock draft, yes, which gives us oh wait Arizona is gonna win the race for 32. 
Spoiler. Um, looking at it, and this was posted by Lyle Richardson, who I actually genuinely like as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, even if we... Do you want to just dive into this, like, next week? It, it, it might We're going to have to push it off a week because I need to take notes on this one. It's too much to do now that we're already over on time. Um, we moved it up once more, so it will still be way too early if when we get to it next week. Yes. Uh, any predictions you want to cram in in the last uh, in the last few seconds of uh, of overage time? Are there any predictions I want to cram? Uh... No, I don't. I, hey, yes, Linus Olmark's going to win the Vesna. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't know. I haven't seen enough preseason from everybody else to really formulate a huge, to really formulate an informed opinion. Okay, that's here's the, that's that's been the problem is that there, there's plenty of hockey on television. It's just a matter of actually finding time to sit down and and take it all in. Absolutely, and Kevin Paul Dupont, as we mentioned, put out a column on um, Patrick Kane being traded to the Boston Bruins. Again, spitballing. He included in his tra- in his potential trade package um, Jake DeBrusque, mm-hmm. uh, Car- uh, Brandon Carlo, um, mm-hmm. Jack Stadnika, or Jacob Lauko, or I'm sorry, Jacob Zaborl, in order to make the dollars fit, and a first round pick. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I don't want. I I don't want to give up Carlo. Thumbs down. Yeah, I. Thumbs down. I don't want to give up Carlo. I think defense is. I think. I think, I think solid defense. Carlo. I think solid defense like is harder to come by than than high scoring wingers. And Grant, okay, I don't want to downplay the importance of Patrick Kane, but he is getting older. Although he's still putting up numbers, he's still putting up numbers like he drinks from the fountain of youth. Uh, but I still think that getting a talent, getting a defensive talent like Brandon Carlo, and then you have to wait the two and a half years, the two and a half seasons that it takes for them to uh, blossom into. I mean, some of them take less time, but I just some of them take more too. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think I do this deal. Making doing moving Brandon Carlo makes it really difficult to swallow, um, even for a premier Hall of Fame player like Patrick Kane, um, a a player who will be 34 in seven weeks or so, um, and adding in a first round pick for a Bruins system that is already. And there's that too, yeah. The, Depleted. Bruins' prospect system is not ranked high to begin with. Uh, I can't do it. I just can't. Um, and, cannot and make like, myself. Like Patrick Kane. And it's really, really difficult to make arguments against Patrick Kane. Uh huh. 
but that trade package is a firm, if reluctant, no. I agree. I I I I struggle to give up defensive talent when you've got it like unless you had it in spades and you had somebody else ready to come up that could step right into his role. No. Not the way the Bruins are currently constructed. I can't say yes. And that, hockey fans, is where we leave you. The next time we talk, real hockey in North America will have started. And we'll have all sorts of real, real games and real, real situations to talk about. Who knows? We may even have the first head coach fired by then. All right. Stay safe. Stop being stop being uh, positive about these things. (laughs) Nobody gets fired in the first week. Your head up and uh, we'll catch you next week.